The last three week, or the last two weeks, and this is our third week in, in kind of a, a three-week sub-series on, on Jesus being very practical with us. The first three weeks of, of this series, we looked at some more abstract ideas that Jesus was throwing out. He was saying, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. And, and then he talked about how we should be salt and light in the world. And he's kind of throwing out these analogies. The last couple of weeks, he's been very, very practical. He's talking about lawsuits and divorce and anger and murder and things like that. And this is going to be the last week where we're going to be looking at these six scenarios that Jesus throws out where he's going super practical, he's going super relevant to our lives. And so we're going to look at the last two today. Just as a a quick review, um, the first week, just a couple weeks ago, we looked at both anger and lust. And, And Jesus said, you've heard that it was said blank, but I tell you blank. And so the first one, he said, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. But then you say, okay, great, you haven't murdered anybody, but have you been angry with somebody to the point where you would want them to die, that you would be so angry and, and, and have this murderous idea for them? But you didn't go through with it, but you were angry with it and, and with that person. And so he says, if you have that in your heart, then you have sinned as well. And then he talked about adultery. He said, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even have lust for somebody else. Don't even lust after a woman who's not your wife or, or a man who's not your husband. If you've done that, it's the same thing as committing adultery. And then last week, we looked at uh, divorce and vows in general, any, any kind of general, generalized vow. And I thank Shane for not giving me last week to preach on because I definitely didn't want to preach on divorce. That's kind of a, kind of a, a, a sore subject, a sensitive subject for a lot of people. And he did a great job last week talking about how the marriage vow, this, this I do that we do, is so important to God. And it's important to us as those who follow God and follow Christ that we want to keep that sacred and we want to keep that um, exactly the way that God would have it for us. And then we talked about vows of any kind. So, so Jesus says, you know, I don't want you to swear on heaven. I don't want you to swear on the earth. I don't want, to, want you to swear on, your, on your, your, your mother's grave or whatever different vows that we come up with, these silly little things. Jesus says, no, I want your yes to be yes. I want your no to be no. Just be trustworthy. Be a man or a woman of your word and let that, let that be. And so, again, he's been going super practical, talking about things that are, are relevant to our everyday lives. And today is no different. The last two that we're looking at um, are very similar to each other, but he's going he's gonna to be very practical. And, and honestly, he's going to step on some toes this morning as I read the scripture. Hopefully I won't uh, step on your toes unnecessarily, but Christ is pretty, pretty uh, severe with us, and he's going to challenge us in ways that is going to be very uncomfortable for us. It's uncomfortable for me. So what we're asking, the big question that we're asking this morning for both of the last of five and six of these practical scenarios is, what do I do when someone treats me poorly? What happens when somebody is treating me in an unfair or a poor way? How do I respond to that? And so our message this morning, we've, we've titled it A Greater Response. We want to have a greater response than what is naturally going to happen for us, our natural response to things when people try to insult us, take advantage of us, hate us, um, that kind of thing. And so um, the, we're going to look at the first one here, number five in this list of six different practical things that Jesus has been talking about in Matthew chapter five is what do I do when someone tries to insult me 
or take advantage of me? When someone tries to insult me or take advantage of me, what should my, nat- what should my God-given response be versus what my natural response is? So let's go ahead and get into it. Matthew 5, 38 is where we're going to start. If you have a paper Bible, just go ahead and turn there to Matthew 5. We'll start in, in verse 38. If you have a tablet or, or an iPhone or an Android phone and you have the YouVersion app on your on your device, we make it real easy for you. We want to make it very easy for you to read along with us, as, especially as we're reading the words of Jesus. So just go ahead and pull up, open that app, and look for the live events that we've created for you. Um, we'll have all the verses in there, so it's really easy to follow along. So verse 38, chapter 5 of Matthew. This is Jesus speaking, of course. He's continuing his Sermon on the Mount. He says, You have heard the law that, the, that says that the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now he's referencing um, what we call Mosaic law, the law law that was given to Moses and was given to the Israelite people hundreds of thousands of years before Christ existed. Now this law originally was not meant to be taken the way that it had been construed over the years. Originally this law was meant to be a law of saying that here's the limit. Um, set, uh, kind of in our modern day context, we kind of have this, uh, you know, if you watch Law and Order type shows and stuff like that, they'll say, you know, uh, t- 10 to 15 years or 15 to 30 or 40 to life or, or whatever it is. There's a cap to, to whatever, whatever the law that was broken. So we, we, the way we say it nowadays is that the punishment must fit the crime, that we, we don't want to punish people more than what their crime deserves. And so God, in a loving way, said... I'm not going to let you guys punish more, more than what is equal to the offense. So the way that they did it back then is that, you know, if you, if you were mad at me and you had the farm next to me and you came over and you killed one of my cows, I get to kill over and kill one of your cows. And, and I can't do that anything, anything more than that. Now, the punishment could be less than that. It could be, you know, a, a, a lesser punishment than that. But God said, don't ever punish somebody that's more than what was equal to the crime. And that we have a similar uh, idea in our justice system today. But they had taken this to the extreme. Over the years, they had, they had construed this, misconstrued this over and over again to the point where they always went to the full extent of the law every single time. It became a law of revenge. This, this over time had become a, a revenge situation where if you do something to me, I'm going to get revenge on you and, and pay back. Where it's, it's, I'm going to pay you back for exactly what you did to me. So in our modern context, that would be if you hurt me, I get to hurt you. If you insult me, I get to insult you. If you take advantage of me, I take advantage of you. And Jesus has something better in mind than that. He says, let's not live like this. Verse 39, the next verse, he has, he has this to say. He says, but I say... Instead of doing that, I say do this. Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek as well. Now, uh, an eye for an eye is, is a popular phrase that, that we hear a lot these days. There's actually a movie that came out in the 90s called, called An Eye for an Eye. Um, I haven't seen it, but, uh, and I won't ask who's, who's seen it because you'll probably be telling your age of, of when that movie came out in the early 90s. But uh, eye for an eye is a popular phrase. Turn the other cheek is another popular phrase that we hear a lot outside of the church. And it was a, a phrase that certainly existed. Um, well, eye for an eye existed before Christ was around, but he kind of made it popular. And he certainly is known for saying this phrase as well, turn the other cheek. What does this mean? Now, before we kind of get into what it does mean, I want to make sure that it's clear what Jesus is not saying, um, because I think this has been kind of misunderstood over the years, and I want to make sure that, that it's clear what we're talking about here. So 
I think what I've heard in my life, and maybe you've heard this as well, that turn the other cheek means that if someone is assaulting you or abusing you physically, that you should just take it, that you should just go ahead and just let them abuse you or let them harm you in some, some kind of physical way. That is not what Jesus is saying. And if that's been you, I, I want to make sure that we clear the air and make sure that that's very clear. I, I don't know if anyone in this room has been uh, abused or, or raped or, or some kind of heinous crime has been committed against you. Jesus is not condoning that. He's not saying that that's okay. And if that's happened to you, I, I am so sorry that that, that was wrong and, and that should have never happened to you. If you are ever being attacked physically, Jesus is not saying, let them attack you, let them harm you or your family. He's saying, I, I believe he would say that you need to defend yourself in that situation. But what is he saying if he's not saying that we should let ourselves be attacked physically? Well, turn the other cheek. Um, he says, and he goes out of his way to say this, that, that if someone slaps you on your right cheek, then why would he say right cheek? Why didn't, why didn't he just say if someone slaps you on your cheek? Well, the right cheek, the idea behind this is that um, if someone was to, to, to slap, go ahead and come up here, Shane. So if Shane was going to go ahead and slap me on my right cheek, don't actually do it, by the way. <laughs> oh, I thought, you were, I thought you were just figuring this was your chance. Oh, you want me to slap you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, so if Shane was going to slap me on my right cheek, uh, he's going to do one of two things. So he's either going to uh, slap me with his left hand across that way, or if he was going to use his right, right hand, how would he do it? Okay, so he'd use the back of his hand to slap my right cheek. So, so one of two things is going to happen. Either he's slapping me with the back of his hands, which admittedly is not going to hurt as much as if he's going to slap me with his dominant hand on the front, or he's going to use his weak hands, his left hand, if, if he's right-handed. Are you right-handed? Yes. Okay, so that, that's how it would be for him. Thank you. So that's what, what's going on here. Now, um, if, you're, if you're left-handed, go ahead, and, go ahead and raise your left hand. I almost raised my right hand. If you're left-handed, oh, only one person in the service. We had four last service. Yeah, rocking it back there, Nathan. Okay, so most of us are right-handed. We, we get this. Uh, back then, in that time period, it would have been almost 100%. Uh, it was generally assumed that people were right-handed back then. And so when Jesus makes, goes out of his way to say that someone slaps you on your right cheek, it's important to note he's, he's talking about an insulting slap, not an assaulting slap. He's not talking about someone physically trying to harm you. He's talking about somebody who's basically insulting you with a slap. Um, best example, like, we don't really have this in our culture today, but if you've ever seen like an old British film where a guy like takes off his white glove and, <laughs> and, and, and slaps the person with the glove, that's essentially what we're talking about. It's that kind of a slap. It's a light slap. It's basically saying, putting someone in their place and insulting them. So if that's what Jesus is talking about, what's the implication for us? We don't have people go around slapping people insultingly nowadays. So, so what does that look like today? Well, it would be, of course, verbal. It would be, probably be the most common place. So someone verbally insults you, somebody verbally. And again, we're not talking about verbal abuse necessarily. We're talking about someone just putting you in your place, setting you lower than you should be, insulting you verbally. Um, what would, what would you do if, if someone, if, you, if we went to Bears after, after church today and had some lunch and somebody came up and, and slapped you with the back of the hand or used their weak hand to slap you or insulted you verbally, what would your reaction be? I've never been slapped before, so I don't know. I've never been hit. Uh, well, my brother and I got into tussles when we were younger, but I've never been hit across the face. So I'm not sure what my reaction would be um, if I got physically hit, but I know when I get verbally insulted, my reaction is not always the holiest response. My, my response oftentimes is, 
oh, well, okay, you say that to me. Well, I'm going to give you what for, and, and how about you? And, and, and I, I, wanted, I basically want to deal the same kind of damage back to them in a verbal way as they've done to me. But, but Christ says, no, I, that's not what I want for you. So um, essentially, we're, we're giving up our rights. Uh, we feel like we have a right to respond in kind. We have a, a right to insult people in the same, same way that they've insulted us to, to deal the same kind of damage. But Christ says, no, I, I want you to give up your right to do that. Whatever right you think you have, I want you to give it up. So, um, so two things um, with insulting. Um, don't fight back. God, God, God himself in, in Christ is saying, I don't want you to fight back with more insults. I don't want you to respond in kinds. But he's also saying what's kind of under the surface of this and reading in between the lines. He's also not asking us to, to flight. So he doesn't want fight, but he also doesn't want flight either. He doesn't want us to run from the problem. He doesn't want us to run from the insult. He wants us to stand, to, to yes, to take it to a certain degree, to be, have a kind kind of strength, to say, look, I'm not going to re- respond in kinds, but I'm also not going to run away from this as well. Let's deal with this. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, um, let's engage with, with each other in a kind and, and docile kind of way. So, um, so that's kind of what's going on there. Let's read on. He, he actually goes on a little bit further and talks more about giving up our rights. So verse in, in verse 40, he says, If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for one mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, Shane talked about lawsuits a little a couple weeks ago, and in and, and this, obviously, it was earlier in the chapter, chapter 5. We've been in this chapter for, for a while now. It's interesting that Jesus talks about lawsuits a couple different times very close to each other. This is obviously something that, that Jesus wants to make sure that we understand, and we won't go into great detail. I, I, if you missed a couple weeks ago, go back and, and listen to it on the podcast where we went into more detail. But Jesus is basically reminding us, just like he did a couple weeks ago, that we should definitely try to stay away from lawsuits. We, sh- we should try to settle out of court uh, as much as possible and avoid these kind of situations that we get into. Though it would be our right to fight for what's ours, Jesus says, I want you to lay down your rights. I want you to lay down what you think is yours, what I've given you to, for you to enjoy with, with, between you and your family, I want you to give that up when you're in a situation where someone's trying to take it from you unfairly. Now, this is not easy for us. I'm not saying that any of this that you're going to hear this morning is going to be easy for you or for me. But Christ is saying that if you are in a lawsuit and someone's trying to take your shirt, give them your shirt, but also give them your coat as well. Go above and beyond. Go so far away from what they think you're going to do that they would be amazed when you actually give them more than what they're asking for. Um, give them what, what they need, but also what they're not asking for, and, and, and get, make this go away. So don't respond in greed. Uh, respond in generosity. I don't know if anyone in this room has been involved in a lawsuit. I haven't been involved in, in, a, in any kind of civic, civic lawsuit, but, but I would like to think that in the future that if someone was trying to sue me for something that wasn't rightfully theirs, that I would have the Christ response, Jesus' response would, to say, look, let's not go to court. Let's not make this a messy ordeal. Let's, let's get this taken care of. What, what, are, you, what are you needing from me? Um, you, you need $1,000? Here's 1500 Here's 2000 Let's just get, get this out of the way, get this take, taken care of, and, and um, I'm going to lay down my rights and submit to you in this situation. So 
I don't think that's probably our typical response. Our typical response is to fight back, to lawyer up, to do all these things that, that you know, we want to do to get what's mine, what's coming to me. But Jesus says, no, that's not what I want for you, for my followers. I want something different. And then he talks about this, this soldier forcing somebody to, to walk one mile uh, with him. And that's, this is cult- very cultural. This is very much in Christ's um, time period and the part of the world that he was living in. So let me kind of explain kind of what's going on here. So Rome had, had taken over most of the Western world at this point. And so Israel is not an exception. Israel is definitely under Roman occupation. Now, we don't really understand occupation, politically speaking, in our context today. It would be, the, the best thing I can think of to kind of describe what he's talking about is if we went to, we've been with, in, in wars with Iraq recently. If, if we went to war with Iraq and they were out for our nation, they were out for our lands, and they, we went to war with them and they actually beat us in war and took over the United States of America, and we were under Iraqi occupation. And basically, the United States gets colonized by Iraq. This is the best, thing, the best example I can think of. Uh, and we become the Iraqi states of America at this point. Every state is under Iraq rule. And everywhere you go, no matter where you go in, in town, Springfield Republic, everywhere you go, there's, there's, a, there's an Iraq mil- military police standing on every corner. And they're watching everything that you're doing. And guess what? Every tax dollar that you have goes to them. And, and the taxes, are, uh, by the way, are going to be raised. You're going to spend more money in taxes. And everything that, that, that you held dear, all of your property, all of your possessions, everything now becomes, belongs to Iraq. And, and you have no claim over anything anymore. They are literally the enemy living amongst us. That's the kind of situation that was going on in Israel. Now, if that was to happen in our time period now, here and now, just like that, like I described it, what would be your reaction to the soldiers, the military police that, that, are, that are living right down the street from you, that are patrolling the streets where you shop, um, that are they're watching your every move? And, and uh, you know, we think Big Brother in the United States is bad. This is really, really bad. What's, what's your reaction to those men that are patrolling the streets and stuff like that? Do you, do you think nice thoughts about them? Do you love them? Do you, do you want to pray for them? Do you want to, good things to happen to them? No, they are the enemy. They are hated by, by you and everyone that you know. Uh, you don't want to pay taxes to them. You don't want to su- submit to them in any way. So that's what's going on in this situation. Now, legally speaking, back then, a Roman soldier who was, would normally be carrying about 100 pounds of gear, uh, weapons and, and food supplies, uh, backpack, uh, you know, uh, sleeping bag, and, and all this kind of, kind of stuff. 100 pounds of supplies could, if he got tired, could ask any one person that was around, any Jewish man, to carry his gear for him. That legally, the law stated that he, could, he was allowed to do that. But he was only allowed to do it for one mile. So a Roman mile back in those days was basically a thousand paces. In fact, the word mile that we have is, comes from the, the Latin word milia. Milia means a thousand. It's a thousand paces. And so he could force any, any Jewish man to walk with him a thousand paces, carrying his hundred pounds of gear on his back. And so Jesus is aware of this. Obviously, he's, he's seen it happen. Um, and if I was a Jewish man and someone said, hey, you sir, pick up my gear and carry it with me, I would take that first step and I'd probably start counting. One, two, three. And I'm not, I'm not going any further than 1,000. 998, 999, 1,000. Back, back that comes off. 
I'm, I'm, I'm done. I fulfilled my obligation. See ya. I'm out of here. Jesus says, no, that's not what I want for you. When you get to that 1,000th step, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, keep going, go all the way to 2,000. You don't have to. The law states that you can stop at 1,000, but I want you to go ahead and keep going. Take that 1,001 step, second, third, go all the way to 2,000 steps. Why would Jesus want this? Why would Jesus want his followers to, to do this kind of thing? Um, doesn't it seem like they're being taken advantage of? Doesn't it seem like the Romans are doing what's not right to these followers? Well, Christ has something different in mind. He says that, uh, I want you to go that second mile. I want you to be, he just got through talking about salt and light, and he's bringing it into a very practical way here. He's giving them a practic- practical example of how to be salt and how to be light. Um, what do you think this conversation is going to be like in the first thousand miles with that Roman soldier versus how do you think the conversation is going to be like in the second thousand miles? The, the Roman centurion is aware of how many steps that have been taken. And when you go to that 1,100 steps and 1,200 steps and you keep going, you say, man, we passed that one mile marker back there. What are you doing? Why, why are you still carrying my stuff? It's 100 pounds. It's 95 degrees outside. I'm sure you'd probably like to just go home at this point. Why are you still here? Is kind of the conversation that is going to be happening at that point. What a great opportunity for a follower of Christ to, say, to step in and say, here's why I'm still here. Here's why I'm still carrying your stuff. No, I don't have to do this. No, I'm not obligated. There's not, no law that says I have to do this, but I'm doing it because even though every inkling in my body says I should hate you, <laughs> Jesus says I should love you, and I'm going to do this for you even if you don't ask me to. Now, what does this mean for us in our context? We don't really have, we're obviously not in any kind of political occupation. This is not uh, relevant to the letter. But what does it mean for us? How can we apply this to our lives today? Well, if you're working, and some of you, I think most of you in the room have have some kind of job where you're working, uh, everyone's had that boss at some point. I've had that boss at some point where they, no matter what, it seems like whatever they're trying to say to you or trying to get you to do, it just seems like it's just, it's just so difficult just to follow anything that they want to say. Everyone's had the good boss, and then everyone's had that boss. And I've had that boss before. Uh, oftentimes in, in, uh, in various jobs that I've had, I felt like, like he, was trying to, he or she was trying to uh, give me more work than I could handle, uh, that try to give me things that would make me feel stupid, that would make me, me, make me feel belittled, like I couldn't do the things that, that I needed to do. Uh, sometimes you've, everyone, I think, has had that job where you were expected to put in more hours than you were actually paid to work or um, do things that were beyond your job description. You got, you got hired to do a particular job description, but then that job description changes over time, and you're expected to do more, and, and even things that you don't know how to do or you're not very good at. I think our response in that situation, what Christ is asking us to do, is to say, when you're asked to do that thing that, that you shouldn't have to do um, or, or is above and beyond what you, what you think is right, to not only say yes and not, and not to say fine or, or okay or whatever, have that kind of rolled-eyed response, but to say, no, I'll do that and I'm going to do more. I'm going to do even more than what you asked me to do. A few weeks ago, we were in our small group and we were talking about how can we make our workplace a better place? How can we make the place that, that we work at 
uh, better for the other employees or better for the customers? If you work in a, in a customer environment, how can we make our, play, our workplace a better place for customers? Not because we were asked to do that, um, not because we're expected to do that in any way, but just because, because we want to be salt and light in our workplace. Um, I think that this is uh, the, the, the typical, Amer- especially American response is, I'm going to go in and do my job as, as little as possible, um, as, 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 uh, as expected as possible, and, not, and nothing more. I'm not going to do anything more than that. I think Christ is asking us, he's calling us to a better, a better life than that. He wants us to, to give and to give even more than what we're being asked. And then, and then last, real quick, he says, uh, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. What's your typical response when somebody comes and they need something from you? And I mean legitimately need something. They, they need $5 or $10, or maybe it's more than that. Uh, or maybe they need something in your house that, that, you, that you don't really necessarily use very much or that you don't very, need very much. We've had, uh, uh, Jessica and I have had a bunch of uh, kitchen supplies and, and, and things given to us over the years because people were just generous with us. And it wasn't just family members either. It was friends and, and other people that we knew. And uh, what's your response? Are you a generous person? Um, Jesus says, don't hold back. Don't hold what's right uh, to, to yours. It would be right for you to hang on to everything that you've earned with your money, that God's given you the ability to earn with your money. But God says, I want you to be generous. When somebody asks you for something, just go ahead and give it to them. Give it, if, you can, if you can survive without it, go ahead and just give it to them and be generous. So are, are you generous or, or, or are you not free with your possessions? That's pretty obvious from the text what Jesus wants us to do. Let's read on. Verse 43. This is the second one, uh, second question that we're going to get to today. So everything we've said so far is, is, is not too terribly tough if you've got an awesome boss or an awesome friend that wants to borrow from you or, uh, you know, you're insulted just that one time and you can kind of roll it off your back or whatever. But what if it gets worse than that? What if the person is just downright mean? all the time. And, and just for whatever reason, maybe you don't even know what the reason is, they just seem to hate you and they seem to despise everything that you do and everything you say. They're just, they're just out to get you. Well, Jesus has something to say about that as well. We're not off the hook just because they're mean. So in verse 43, he says this, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, I, it's it's kind of blows my mind, but he actually just said that we should love our enemies. Now, back in, in that day, the, the previous law, the Old Testament law, had said, uh, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as, as yourself is essentially the, what's being said. And over time, over hundreds of years, just like the last law that we looked at, the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, the, the religious leaders of that day had subverted it and added to it, and they had added that extra phrase. So the law stated, love your neighbor. They said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that was not obviously what God intended by that law that, that they had added to that. And Jesus is, is basically counteracting that. He's speaking against the religious leaders. He's, he's speaking against the law that, that, that they had set up that, over time. This is revolutionary stuff. This is countercultural stuff. God wants us to respond in love and in prayer when someone insults us, when someone attacks us, when someone hates us, when someone is our enemy. Now, as, we're, as I'm going to be talking about this, there's probably going to be a name that's going to come to your mind or a face that's going to come to your mind, somebody that just 
uh, just gets under your skin. No matter every time you talk to them, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that person. And all these thoughts start flooding your minds. And we talked about that a little bit when we talked about anger a couple weeks ago. But Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to respond. I want you to love those people. I want you to pray for those people. Now, loving is one thing. You know, I, I, can, I can say, well, you know, I, I want the best for that person, whatever. But to pray for that person is the thing that I just, is so difficult for me. When I, I don't know about your prayer life, but my prayer life is, is mostly about me. And it's mostly about people that I care about. It's the people that are friends or family. And Jesus says, uh, what's your prayer list look like? Who are you praying for? I want you to pray for your enemies. I want you to pray for the people that persecute you. Let's uh, read on. Verse 45. He says, in that way, that is loving your enemies, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Essentially what Jesus is asking in this, in this statement is he's saying, do you want to be known as a true child of the Father in heaven? Do you want to be a son, a daughter of God? If that's your desire, and, and a lot of you are, are claim to be followers of Christ in here, so I'm assuming that that's your desire, that you want to be known that way. What does he say? How, how does he say that you will do it? He says, you are going to be exactly like him, that you're going to work to be just like the Father. Now, when I was a kid, I, I hated when my parents did the because I said so thing. Every kid hates that, by the way. And, and if you're a parent in here and you use that phrase, uh, shame, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, it's, it's, it's okay. I'll probably use that on my kids someday. But, but, but just so you know, kids, uh, if, if you remember back when you were a kid, kids hate that. They hate the because I said so. So God actually goes, Jesus himself in the flesh, God in flesh, goes uh, actually so far as to explain why and explain what is the example that, that he expects us to follow. So he says, he, God himself gives sunlight to the evil, and he gives sunlight to the good. He gives rain to the just, and he gives rain to the unjust. And I had never really noticed this part of the passage when I was reading through Matthew 5 in the past, and I, I noticed it when I was preparing for this message. Now, it's been raining a lot this morning, and um, when you were driving in to second, if you were driving into second service this morning, um, when, as you were driving down the road and you saw houses on the side of the road, was it raining on just one house, and then like not raining on the next house, and then raining on two more houses, and then not raining on five more houses? No, that would be ridiculous. It would, it, that would never happen. Same thing with sun. Is it only sunny on one house and then dark on the next house? And then, and then if your neighbor moves and somebody else moves in, it's like the first time that sunlight's ever hit that house. You know? If that's not the way that that happens in life, God gives his equal, is an equal opportunity uh, giver. We call this common grace. Uh, if you've heard that phrase, Shane's used that phrase in the, in the past. There's this idea that God gives grace uh, to, uh, special grace to those who, um, to, who, who he's chosen and who accept um, Christ as, the, as their Lord, their master in life. But there's also this idea of common grace that no matter what you've done to God, no matter if you hate God or if you're trying to love him and trying to serve him and striving and hungering and thirsting for this righteousness that he gives, no matter who you are, you still get rain. No matter who, what you've done, you still get sun. Everyone gets this idea, for, for this, this uh, good thing from God. And so God is basically using that as an example for us. He says, in the same way that I don't show favoritism to people, in the same way that I love everyone the same in the sense that they get the same rain, they get the same sun, I want you to have that same relationship with others. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that 
that God isn't going to punish evil. He will. Um, it's not to say that he won't um, have to, to respond um, to sin. And, and we're not trying to say that today. But what we are trying to say is that God, to a certain degree, will love everybody in certain ways the same. And, and that's what God wants, us, wants for us, too. Whether somebody hates us or whether somebody loves us, we still love them in return. Um, let me throw this idea out there. I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot the last few weeks. Um, God is always more concerned with being loving than being fair. When given the option between being loving to people or being fair to people, he, he will always defer to love. Now, that's not to say that he will not sometimes pay back sin for what, what needs to you know, what, what is right, what, he is a just God, but he will always defer, he always prefers love. And I, I think that that's what God wants from us as well, that in the same way that he is unfair to people, people that hate him, that people that want nothing to do with him, he still gives them good things. He's essentially being unfair to those people. They, they deserve not good things or bad things from God, but instead he gives them good things and he gives, and he gives them love and all the, all the things they don't deserve. He wants us to do that for people as well. He wants us to, to be unfair with people, unfairly loving to people that in no way deserve it. Um, is that easy for us? No. Uh, we want to give people their just desserts in life. We, we love justice in this country and in our lives. But God says, I want you to be unjust. I want you to be unfair in, the, in, the, in favor of love, in the favor of good things. Uh, let's look at the last few verses here, verse 46. He says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. And he's using tax collectors as, as an example of what not to be. <laughs> Verse 47, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, um, essentially what Jesus is doing here is he's redefining the word neighbor. Um, he says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus is obliterating that. He's saying, love your neighbor all the time. Don't hate your enemy. But your neighbor is anyone and everyone, even your enemies. So your, your, uh, na- your literal neighbor, the person that lives right next door to you, that plays their electric guitar until 3 o'clock in the morning or has drunken parties on, on your lawn or in, in front of their house or, or um, you know, talks really poorly around your kids or... That person is your neighbor, in a literal sense. Um, the person at work that, that just belittles you or, or expects you to do things for them, even though they're not your boss, that, that is unfair to you or insults you to your face or talks about, bad about you behind your back, that person is your neighbor. That person in your family that you just can't stand, the person that whenever you get to family reunion time, you avoid that cousin or that uncle like the plague, and, and you just don't want to talk to them because you, no, matter, no matter what you talk about, you're going to disagree with them on every point. That person is your neighbor. God's saying that everyone is your neighbor, and we are to love everyone equally. Again, not easy to do. It's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. Um, I struggle with this, guys. This is, this is something that is hard for me to do. I, I would much prefer God to say something more like what the religious leaders were saying, that, that, um, that only, you, Phil, you only need to love your best friends. You only need to love your wife and the people that treat you kindly and, and that are nice to you. Um, just be, be kind and be loving to those people. Everyone else, just whatever, just do whatever you want. I wish that's what God said. I wish that would, what is what the message that Jesus came with, with with his sermon, but that's not what he's saying. He said we need to love everyone 
the same. Now, this is really a salt and light issue. We talked about salt and light several weeks ago, and he's coming back to it again at the end of chapter five. He's saying that when we go to our workplaces, when we go to our families, maybe it's even in your own home, uh, your immediate family, um, he wants us to be salt. He wants us to be light. He wants us to be Christ in those situations. So give up your rights. Give up your um, what you feel entitled to. Give up your entitlement and submit. Submit to, to those who don't deserve love, that don't deserve kindness from you. Um, really, this, and he doesn't get into it in this passage here. Elsewhere in the, in the Gospels, he does talk about this, but this is ultimately us being the same way with somebody else in the same way that God's been with us. Uh, why do we be kind to people? Because we know that God was kind to us. Why do we forgive people their sins? Because we know that God has already forgiven our sins. Uh, in Romans, it talks about how it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Not his, his, his spite, not his ire, not his, not his anger towards us. That doesn't lead us to repentance. His kindness leads us to repentance. And so when we're talking with those who deserve nothing, no good thing from us, and we're kind to them or we're loving to them, we're showing them how God acts and how God works in our lives. Um, by the way, just, and just to kind of bring things to a close tonight, I want to make sure that, that we know what we're talking about here in a cultural context. Our, our Christian circles are known for being exclusive. We are, we are maybe one of the most exclusive groups, uh, community groups, in the nation. Um, we go to Christian events. We listen to Christian music. We watch Christian TV and Christian movies. We go to Christian concerts, and we do the Christian thing. We, we eat Christian food and, and, and do all these different things. And if it's not Christian, we don't want to have anything to do with it. And what Christ is saying is, I don't want you to be exclusive. I want you to be inclusive. I want you to welcome people in and make feel, people feel comfortable, make f- people feel loved. Um, the, the only way that we're going to do this is by being different. And if we love those who love us, and if we're kind to those who are kind to us, we don't look any different from the world. That's what Jesus was just saying. Um, you guys, this is, I'm the first one to admit that this is a struggle. And, and I know if it's, if it's a struggle for me, and, and, and for some, some of you, I've actually been walking with Christ longer than me, and I, and I don't know if it's as much of a struggle for you. Some of you have been walking with Christ less than me, and, and I know that, that if I'm struggling with it, probably a lot of you are as well. That, that we need to respond not in kind, not in respond insult for insult, but respond insult with love, respond, respond insult with kindness. Um, what's the difference in you between, between, between you and the people that you work with? What's the difference between you and the people that you are family with or, or, or interact with or acquaintances with? How will you show this week that you can be different because Christ is leading you? And I want to come back, make sure we come back at the very end to, to remind you that this is all about hunger and thirsting for righteousness. This is not behavior modification, white knuckle, got to get this right, got to keep working on this until I am perfect. Christ is saying, be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfecting you. He's completing you. And that only starts because we are hungering and we're thirsting for it. So this morning, when you're praying and we're, when we're singing these songs, and the band can, can go ahead and come this way, we're, we're going to go ahead and close with a few songs. Um, God wants us to perfect us, and he wants us to show a greater response to those who are around us, but we don't do this by white-knuckling it. We don't do this until uh, we, we just try to try our hardest until we get it right. We respond saying, God, I hunger and thirst for you. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness. I want what you want for me, and I want to live like you have lived out in my life. 
and we can only do that with his help. So let me go ahead and pray for you. Um, I, want, um, I want this to be a thing that we as a church embrace. Crosspoint needs to be known as a church of people that love others and specifically love people who are outside of the church and even the people that hate us, even the people that insult us at work or, or down the street from us or whatever, we're not going to lash out at people. We're not going to respond in kind. We're, we're going to give up our rights. We're going to lay those down and be kind and loving to people. Um, that's what I want for my life as well. So let me pray for us. God, this is, this is tough. This is hard stuff today. Um, you have raised the bar uh, on, in this area of our lives, so far above where I'm at, it's, it's difficult to see how I could ever attain this perfectly. And yet I know that you are righteous and you are holy and that you are making me righteous and making me holy on a, day, on a day-to-day, day-to-day basis. And I have a long ways to go, Lord, but, but you know that you can get me to where I need to be. So the next time I'm at work and somebody asks me to do something that I don't really want to do, I'm going to do it anyways. Um, with your help. Um, the next time that I'm asked to, to only go so far, I'm going to go further. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give more than what's being asked. I'm going to give my time more than what's being asked. I'm going to be free with my possessions, Lord, with your help. I can't do this on my own, but you can do this through me. You can, through my hunger, through my thirst for righteousness, you can make me uh, better than I am and more like you. So God, just help us in this room. Help us to keep each other accountable to these things, to encourage one another in these things. And we'll know that you are working through us when we start to see this fruit in our lives and we start to see change in our lives and we start to look different from the world. Help us to love others. Help us to be salt and light in the world. We love you, God, and just we need your help. In your name I pray, amen.